Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Rolf Achilles, an independent art historian specializing in the decorative arts, who'll be giving a free lecture entitled Tiffany and Other Great Midwestern Pains at the Butterworth Center in Moline this Friday, March 22nd at 7 p.m. Welcome, Rolf. Thank you. Now, your lecture coincides with the Figgy Art Museum's current exhibit on Lewis Comfort, Tiffany. Why do you think we continue to be entranced by the work of this artist? Well, it's not so much being continuously entranced. It's that uh, he was only recently discovered again in the last 30 years or so that he's become popular. So even though the work is over 100 years old, it's recently popular again. During which time period did he produce his great works of art? Uh, Sort of 1890 to 1910-15 time period. It was all over with by 1920. And he dies in 1933, basically a forgotten person. Well, and why do you think his work became forgotten and was left to be rediscovered, if you will, later on? World War I put an end to Art Nouveau, which was a French-inspired style. The Germans had it, the English had it, but it, um, it couldn't go anywhere anymore after about 1910 in its ornamentation. And then Art Deco comes in after World War One, and changes everything. So there were forces that, that led to its demise, but what were the particular forces at play in the late 19th century that gave rise to the world of Tiffany Glass? The great interest in nature, flowers, uh, technology, new innovations, machine-made products, all of Tiffany's glasses machine-made in some aspects, and... Um, New technologies drove it, and new forms were created out of nature. What will you be discussing in your upcoming lecture? I'll be discussing Tiffany's work um, as it relates to the exhibit. In part, he was a consummate all-around genius designer. He was the first great American interior designer. His father's company set the tone for silver. When his father died in 1902, Tiffany took over that company and became its leader. Tiffany designed jewelry, designed windows, he designed objects for the table. He did your whole house and uh, everything related to it. We're lucky in the Midwest to have um, a surprising amount of works by Tiffany. There are many important works in Chicago itself. Why was it that various businesses and private individuals from Chicago commissioned his work? It took money. It took wealth. And the 1880s, 90s, 1910 time period were a very wealthy time period in the United States. For some individuals, there was also great poverty. There was also a a great discussion uh, between the Methodists, Episcopalians, and of course, the enormous number of Catholics. Catholics did not like Tiffany. Methodists and Episcopalians did. Tiffany wasn't a Catholic. Catholics bought from Catholics. Methodists bought from Methodists or Episcopalians. Well, that's interesting because um, I've heard, I've not seen it, but there is an extraordinary collection of Tiffany windows at a Methodist church very close to us in Dubuque, Iowa. Yes, it's very famous, uh, St. Luke's United Methodist. And um, that would be worth a road trip 
certainly for people who are interested and love the Tiffany exhibit here, driving just a little over an hour north, you can see what I think is like the fifth greatest collection of Tiffany glass in a in a religious setting. And it's accessible. Um, I would call the church first to make sure they're open, but they have guides. They have uh, very knowledgeable people. I've been there a few times myself and uh, admired the windows. And you can see most of Tiffany's razzle-dazzle techniques in the Dubuque windows. Mm-hmm. But you'll also see them in the exhibit. Now, the exhibit at the Figgy contains numerous highlights from the Driehaus Museum collection, not just windows, but lamps, vases, and other decorative objects. And that museum is in Chicago. Who is Richard Driehaus? He's a financial wizard, a money manager, who over the years has collected Tiffany. He's fascinated by Art Nouveau. He's intrigued by uh, the Belle Époque, that is from the 1880s to about 1910 in America and in Europe. And Tiffany, of course, is the representative of America. Um, Richard Driehaus uses his money, much of his money, to, um, to enhance the arts as he sees them. That is making available to the public exhibits such as this Tiffany exhibit. And he is the largest Tiffany collector in the United States. But uh, just Art Nouveau in general, he loves the work. And he's not academically trained in it, but he has a brilliant eye to discern one piece from another. So his works normally are housed in this museum in Chicago. It's open every day from 10 to 5. Thousands of people come to see, and they have uh, very lively exhibits there. And you can see Tiffany, but not exclusively Tiffany. This incredible interior was the former Nickerson Mansion in Chicago. It's from the mid-1880s. There's also tiles like you'll never see anywhere else in the United States in that museum. Also, uh, I understand the Chicago Cultural Center and the Art Institute of Chicago. There are many um, very well-recognized places that have Tiffany Glass. Yes. Um, Tiffany mosaics in the Chicago Cultural Center, but also a large dome, chandeliers, uh, lighting fixtures, all by Tiffany and company. He um, did half of the Cultural Center, which was the public library in 1897. Now, I'd read that that the World's Fair that was held in Chicago in the late 1800s, that 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 was important in terms of exposing the people in Chicago to this art form. It was. Um, the World's Fair, the Chicago uh, World's Columbian Exposition, was in 1893. And Tiffany's family, his father, had a large silver display. And right next to it, Tiffany, Louis Comfort Tiffany, did a display in the form of a chapel of his, um, of his work, glass, mosaic, metalwork, marble work, and so forth. That exposure was was what then started. It sounds like some of the commissions that that we are now subsequently able to see in in the Midwest. It did illuminate the Midwest in interested people here in Tiffany. What were some of the technical innovations that Lewis Comfort Tiffany made in glass? He had his own glass factory. He could make up to twenty one colors at a time in uh, in one kiln. Most kilns only had a dozen colors that they could heat up, uh, glass sand that that, that they could heat up colors and then roll them. He invented uh, drapery glass, feathered glass, glass mosaics. Some of these techniques uh, were already around. 
but he perfected them and mechanized them and mass produced them. He also had a genius person in the name of a Mr. Nash, who uh, Arthur J. Nash from England, who was his chemist and glass technician. The man was absolutely brilliant in uh, putting uh, colors together. And in the process, Tiffany invents the first abstraction in glass in a way that then the New York School of Painters, like Jackson Pollock and others in uh, 1950, reintroduce. But Tiffany was there 60 years earlier. He uses such vibrant colors. You had mentioned drapery glass. What, What is that exactly? It's glass that looks like textile. It has folds. And if you get close to the windows, you will see uh, in Dubuque, for example, and also in the exhibit, you'll see uh, folds and ripples that look like textile in glass. And this is glass being manipulated while it's hot, pushed together so that some of the glass is extremely thin in the valleys and extremely thick in the, in the hills. So that type of technique works really well when when you're talking about windows that are inserted into religious buildings. Yes, it makes uh, the garments that Jesus wears or that the apostles wear much more realistic. And that was Tiffany's idea. From a distance, you can't tell the difference between that and real cloth. Were the Tiffany windows, were they ever created for secular buildings or were they primarily commissioned by churches or religious groups? No, they were often made for secular buildings. Many houses on the East Coast, mansions in New York, in um, Newport and so forth, have Tiffany windows in them. And his first commissions were for not churches or sacred spaces, but for private individuals, wealthy private individuals who commissioned the windows directly. Nature was an important source of inspiration for him. Um, What are some of the images that he frequently used? flowers. He was part of the aesthetic movement. It was uh, beauty for beauty's sake, art for art's sake, and just to make the world more beautiful by using flowers. Mm -hmm. And he had a a couple of designers, specifically Agnes Northrup. Agnes Northrup was a wonderful woman uh, designer who painted flowers and then also uh, replicated them in glass. She's the one that introduced Tiffany's great landscape windows. She was brilliant at um, rendering landscapes. Mm-hmm. He did work with a large group of other artists, and he, I understand, oversaw the designs. But as his business flourished, he had to let go of some of that control a bit. Yes. He had, about, he had a staff of some hundred people that worked for him, technicians and artists, They were divided into two groups. There was the men team and the women team. The women made the lampshades, for example, because traditionally it was thought women's fingers were more nimble than men's fingers in doing this kind of work, the small work. And so the women got to do the smaller work and the men did the bigger work. So the big church windows are by men. They were all unionized. The women's union was always in conflict with the men's union. The women got paid less than the men and so forth. It's what we still hear today, um, that argument. But it happened in the arts in 1900 also. Well, some things haven't changed. Hopefully they will <laughs> a little bit in the future. Yes. And he really did adhere to, uh, to realism. He, he rejected uh, the modernist uh, trends. He did reject the modernist trends in what was then modern which would, by 1900, of course, it would have been uh, what Frank Lloyd Wright was doing. Mm -hmm. The uh, abstracted lines and the general um, grid patterns. He was much more into nature 
trees, uh, landscapes, and then realistic individual figures or groups of figures. So there were philosophical differences, definitely, between those different schools. Frank Lloyd Wright being, oh, using more simple, abstract, and geometric designs. Yes, sim- simple in the cut glass technique, not simple in in design. They may look simple, but they're really complicated because they're perfectly proportioned. But the um, landscapes and so forth that uh, Tiffany created were also extremely abstract when you get really close to them. He was much more innovative in abstraction of nature and using confetti glass and using uh, little pigments and blotches and chunks and so forth than um, Frank Lloyd Wright was. Can you describe the term confetti glass? Confetti glass is you take very thin little pieces of glass, you break it up like glass likes to break up into little pieces, you lay them out on a steel plate, and then you roll another sheet of glass across the top of it and then fuse them together, and the result is lots of little triangles and squares and little uh, abstracted shapes in against a sheet of glass that's usually clear or light-colored glass. It makes fabulous backgrounds. You'll see some in the exhibit. What other objects did Tiffany create besides his beautiful window panes? He did whole table sets. He did lamps, as I've mentioned. The great lamp designer for Tiffany was Clara Driscoll. She designed several of the lamps you'll see in the exhibit. Also vases, the the great glasses. You might think you can't drink champagne out of them, but you could if you wanted to. Um, They were designed after flowers um, by Agnes Northrup and Clara Driscoll and others. I mentioned the two women because they were the prominent designers for the smaller objects. He did desk sets. He did chairs, furniture, whole wallpaper, interiors, textiles. He did it all. That's really amazing. And and especially, you know, when I think about his father having such a successful business, he could have chosen a, an easier path just to work for his father. But instead, he created his own legacy. Yes, uh, right on, spot on there that he, he could have followed in his father's path. And then he would have just been the owner of uh, the Tiffany stores. But he had his own destiny to follow. And that was the creative genius of the painter who becomes then the interior decorator designer of all things beautiful. During your lecture, will you be discussing other important artists or are you primarily concentrating on the work of of Tiffany? I'll be discussing other artists. I will be discussing Franz Mayer of Munich, Germany, and FX's Zettler of Munich, Germany also, who were Tiffany's great competitors in the United States because the Franz Mayer and FX Zettler company did windows for Catholic churches, and there were many more Catholic communities in the United States, especially in the Midwest, and there were Methodists and Episcopals. Let's talk about your personal history now, because you had a rather unconventional route to the field of historic preservation. How did you end up doing what what you're doing now? Well, I started off in uh, literature, philosophy, with a little bit of economics on the side, and then I um, had the opportunity to go to Europe several times, Uh, in college, and I spent some time there and then wanted to live there, which I did. I lived there for seven years in Europe. I say Germany, France, Italy, and then also in Istanbul and um, other places. Got to travel extensively by uh, earning money through grants and so forth, and I fell in love with Byzantine. And so academically, I became a Byzantinist and studied um, Russian 
orthodoxy, religion, and so forth, and then moved to Chicago, again, serendipitously going to the University of Chicago to uh, finish a PhD project, and um, ended up here becoming a modernist when I did the uh, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe Centennial Project, and then a bookworm when I did the Newberry Library Centennial Project. I fell from one opportunity to another, and in the process, fell in love with the decorative arts, which I'd always liked. I've always collected um, Art Nouveau, and I've always collected uh, Roman and classical things along the way, and then Chicago Imagists along the way. So I'm sort of a pack rat, and by default ended up in um, historic preservation because of uh, trying to preserve historic buildings in Chicago and elsewhere. I now have preserved buildings on three continents. There's a little bit of a parallel I can see at least between how you're describing your life and that of Louis Comfort Tiffany and that I know he traveled <laughs> through Eastern Europe and he traveled through Africa and those travels were extremely important to him in terms of uh, helping form his artistic vision. Very much so. Uh, it helped form my artistic vision because I think the more you see, the more um, you can understand and uh, the more ideas you get. Uh, and I make it a point now to talk only about those things that I've seen. So in the lecture, I will have seen all the windows and all the objects that I talk about. Well, you do give a lot of lectures and, and lead tours. You're extensively published. Uh, and then you're also a board member, I saw, of the Richard Driehaus Museum, from where the, uh, the current exhibit at the figure originated. Yes, I, I've been talking to uh, Mr. Driehaus, Richard H. Driehaus, for quite a number of years to get his Tiffany works out into the public realm. And of course, there are others that have helped in all this. And uh, I am a board member there. I'm also a board member of the Glesner House in Chicago, which is H.H. H. Richardson's great house. And then in LaSalle, Illinois, the Hegler Karras Mansion, which is an, a unique American interior. We live in such a throwaway culture. Why, why are you so passionate about our cultural heritage being preserved and protected? We've always been a throwaway culture. Uh, it's not a new idea. We've always thrown a lot away, so we lose a lot. Every time you throw something away, a little bit of history goes, whether it's from a department store or whether it's custom-made. We tend to save only the expensive things. We don't throw away gold jewelry, for example. Um, as easily as we do some plastics. But that makes the plastics even more interesting because there's fewer of them. Well, Rafa Kellys, thank you so much for talking today and for your work preserving our artistic treasures. Thank you very much. Come to the Butterworth Center this Friday, March 22nd at 7 p.m. to listen to the lecture by Rolf Achilles entitled Tiffany and Other Great Midwestern Pains. His talk is free to the public and is a well-timed accompaniment to the Figgy's current exhibit showcasing Tiffany Glass. This has been Carolyn Martin, talking art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. 